Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Podcast. I feel like I haven't talked to everybody uh, for like months and months and months. Time seems to be on some kind of a weird loop. How do you guys feel about that? I, I, I have no sense of time. Like it's gone. Yeah, this timing has been wonky ever since obviously lockdown. I also feel like this week, not aided by the fact that we had a statutory holiday in the middle of the week. So for me, I, I'm so thrown off. It's bizarre. Like Thursday this week felt like a Monday and, and then, but Wednesday was the Sunday and Tuesday was the Friday. I mean, I feel like I don't even know what planet I'm living on. And uh, this is Caitlin uh, Green that you're listening to now. Caitlin (laughs) wasn't with us last week and Adam and I were, we were quite missing her. Adam, I I know how you, you've got kids. I don't know what the days of the week are like for you, but I think this is a really common problem with people. They don't know what time it is. They don't know what day it is. Literally every day I ask someone else, what day is it? Is it, is today, is today Wednesday? Is today Thursday? Every day I ask somebody what day it is. You'd think it, how did, how did Tom Hanks in Castaway, how did his character (laughs) keep track of how many freaking years and I guess that's why there's literally ticks on the side of the cave that you have to scratch in or notch your knife handle or there's got to be some way to what did the what did the mariners do in in 1460 that were sailing how in the shit did they know <laughs> sorry when sorry about that how in the heck did they know yeah uh, what what month it was like I, I just it's christmas in 176 days Okay, that I'm also not ready for. And it was weird because we sort of, we reached the halfway mark of the year this week. And uh, it felt like it was A, kind of cause for celebration. And then B, a lot of people also thought, well, nothing's happened. I haven't done anything this year, except try to stay inside and avoid people. So it was weird. I felt kind of, I was happy about it, frankly. I was on the happy about it side. Well, depending on what country you're in, Stuff mm-hmm. has happened or it hasn't happened. So uh, I think Canada's doing really well. Canada Day, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we just we experienced that this week. It was kind of weird being in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew because it woke me up in the middle of the night. I live in this way out in the country and someone was blasting fireworks and yeah. my dog was freaked out. So that's the only thing that reminded me. I'm like, oh, yeah, Canada Day. So I realized that at like 12.05. I think that having the stat in the middle of the week actually served to keep people a little bit more apart because normally it would be kind of at the end of a long weekend and there might be more partying and stuff. And here in Toronto, it was a much quieter Canada day than normal. Was a lot it? Of our, yeah. Cause like a lot of our, fi- our fireworks shows were canceled. They usually have a giant fireworks display that happens in the East end of the city, right on the lake at a place called Ashbridge's Bay and tons of people gathered for that. And that was canceled and they did some downtown, but like you couldn't gather near them to watch and they weren't encouraging people to do that, which right. is good. Well, I want to ask you about this, which leads me into, you know, I guess our first topic. Uh, you know, we were talking about people gathering. There was apparently on a bar on King, King West, yeah. um, 150-odd people attended this secret party, this very clandestine party. So I'm imagining it was like, oh, yeah, they're going to get together in the basement of this. So anyway, now the bar owners are facing huge fines and possibly losing their liquor license for uh, an unknown amount of time. How do you, how do you feel about that? I, I, I think it sucks that they're doing that. And, and I just think it sends out such crappy messaging. It does. It's just, it's, it's so, stu- like for lack of a better word, it's just so stupid. 
And it's so short-sighted. I mean, here in Toronto, we were only allowed to re-enter stage two or to enter stage two of reopening um, like like less than two weeks ago. We just got there and we're still dealing with outbreaks in our farming areas of this, of, uh, of Ontario because we've got so many migrant workers that are working and living there. I mean, we are just <laughs> getting by. And a group of these dummies decided they were just going to pretend that we're not in the middle of a viral pandemic and have 150 people not just gathered together, likely closer to one another than six feet, definitely not wearing masks. But what do you think? What do you think the age group was, Caitlin? I think it was young. It was definitely young. Okay, let, let me just play the devil's advocate here. If I was that age, I'll tell you right now, Caitlin, I probably would have been one of the people in that bar. So I, I, I do want to cut some slack here. When you have a group of older people, and I don't consider you old or Adam old, but me, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm 58. So I am, I, I am right <laughs> in that area where, you know, people are looking at me, shut up, lady, you friggin' old, like, go, you know, go do your bingo game. But all I'm saying, if I was 20, 25, I would have, my hormones would have been raging. I would have wanted to be hooking up with people. Uh, I, I have a whole a government telling me that you're not really the target for this, this, uh, this pandemic or this virus. You're not probably not going to die from this. Like I'd be going, okay, you're telling me all this stuff. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to have a couple of beers and I'm going to possibly kiss some cute, hot human. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there. So yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I think that very different pandemic, depending on how old you are. I I agree. And I also think people understandably are suffering from like exhaustion of having to sort of play by, you know, these rules if they feel that they, for whatever reason, are in this low risk category. But it's not really like I, it's not about them individually. What if they go hug a grandparent? What if they get into an Uber and then they, they're asymptomatic and then the Uber driver gets it and then drives around, drives people around. Like we know how this spreads. We know how fast it spreads. We have so many examples of super spreading. We've all heard about in the news. And I, I don't think you go through there and necessarily toss everybody in you know in jail or anything but those owners deserve to be fined and i have friends who own restaurants and bars in this city and they're playing by the rules they're doing the right thing because they don't want to be the center of a super spreading case and they heard about the story of the stupid bar on king west and they were furious because they said we've been it's a money grab it's a money grab and everyone's been impacted by this financially especially the hospitality industry so for other bars on king west where, you know, again, like one of my friends, literally the weekend that we went into lockdown just before March 16th, they opened a bar on King West that weekend. It was horrible timing for them. Now, luckily they're in a good position financially and they can weather the storm and they have a patio so they can serve people now, but they're hearing this story going, what the hell's wrong with you? We've been closed for this long, playing by the rules for this long so that we can get to stage three. Please don't make the government slap all of our hands over one mistake that you decided to make. The very difficult thing about how this virus operates is that people don't feel sick until they feel sick. And I know that seems like a very sort of a roundabout um, way of putting it, but it's true. You know, you feel fine. And, and so you're thinking, I'm not sick. This is where the trouble starts, is that people do not understand that there's a two week period, which is why this whole quarantine has been pounded about the 14 days. That's what scientists, physicians, the government, people dealing with the immune system, professional people are telling us that is the amount of time that it is safe to say that the virus is going to make you sick or not. 
or, or that you will show symptoms, which is, so for all you people out there that are wondering what asymptomatic means, I think a lot of people are hearing these terms and they really don't understand what they are. Like I'm always surprised, even with my friends that I consider quite intelligent, they don't really understand, well, why are we, why do we have to stay away for two, two weeks? Like they're tell, saying these things to me. I'm like, after four months, you're asking these kinds of questions? Yeah, I, don't, I just don't get why. Well, because, you know, if your throat starts getting sore, you probably, eight days before that, were touching people, hugging grandparents, making out with a guy in a bar, and you were sick in those eight days, but you just felt sick on the ninth day. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, I guess we have to put it in terms. I remember, uh, you know, years ago, Calgary had huge floods here. You guys might have remembered the huge floods we had. I believe it was 2014 or 2013 or something. The mayor, Mayor Nenshi, actually came on the TV and he goes, do I need to tell people not to swim in the river? Not to raft down the river. The, the water tables were 10 feet higher than they normally were. It was so dangerous. And they were having to send people out to rescue people off of the Bow River and the Elbow River, which are the two rivers that go through Calgary, because they were tubing. They were on air mattresses. They were in little kitty canoes, like going down a raging river on an inflatable swan. So I think we're dealing with that same kind of, sorry, I'm pontificating here, but with COVID, we make these assumptive, you know, ideas that people just understand it. I don't think they do. I simply do not think they do. And some people in society are always going to be more comfortable taking risks than others. And that's fine when it only personally impacts you. But in situations like impaired driving, in situations like, you know, practicing unsafe sex and not concealing your sexual history to people, you're impacting other people's lives and their health and well-being. And sure, maybe you get COVID and all you do is lose your sense of smell for two weeks. Lucky you. You, that might not be the case for somebody else. And it might not just be the case for somebody else who's older or unhealthy. There are cases of perfectly healthy people, you know, people who are far more fit than I am, who go to the gym all the time, have no pre- pre-existing conditions. They're on ventilators. And I don't know if anyone's Googled an image of somebody on a ventilator. It's not good. And my, oh. next, my next door neighbor is an ER doctor, an ER doctor in one of the busiest hospitals in Vaughan. And she, even though she says we're doing a good job, our numbers are down and your average person is really going to try to abide by the rules. It doesn't change the fact that until there's a vaccine, you just can't rule out the possibility that you could get somebody else sick. And like, do you want that on your conscience? I couldn't live with myself. Well, in, in layman's terms, if you're at a certain age, please think back to the Clairol Herbal Herbal Essence shampoo commercial and she told two (laughs) friends and she told two friends and you saw the screen split and split and split. Anyway, you are listening to the Jan Arden podcast. I'm back this week with Caitlin Green and Adam Karsh. We're so happy to be here. Thanks for listening. We've got a really great show for you today. So don't go away. We'll be right back. I wish today I was sitting here with Caitlin and Adam and talking to you about butterfly collection. And, and, and slightly used scarves from Hermes or <laughs> even Jell-O, yes or no. But no, we're still talking about the idiotic nature of our lives right now. And I think we sometimes paint a little bit of a bleak picture here on the Jan Arden podcast. We don't mean to, <laughs> but there's just so many stupid people. Yeah. Um, 
that are being stupid because they're scared. So I try and cut them a little bit of slack. But here's something for you. So we just were talking about the bar that had a very secret party for 150 folks, drinking drinks, making out, whatever they were doing, dancing, Levi loving, who knows what was going on. But uh, Air Canada and WestJet uh, are two main domestic carriers. As of July 1st, both announced that they were no longer keeping the middle seat vacant, which they sold a lot of plane tickets under that guise of Mm -hmm. there'll be a seat between you, don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. So people who were flying to see their, you know, mother-in-law that they hadn't seen in four months in Halifax suddenly realized that the plane ticket they bought for July the 10th now has somebody in that seat because they changed their policies. So let's fast forward a little bit here to a Toronto to Halifax flight. Uh, uh, I believe it was a WestJet flight. Um, Now they're telling the passengers that were on this particular flight that they very well were exposed to COVID-19 on the flight. So, and this is just in in the first few days of these policies being opened up. I was furious. I was tweeting about it. I put out one of those little uh, things that you can do on Twitter where you can ask a question and do a quick Mm -hmm. survey. I had like 6,000 people answer the survey. 93 or 94% said there's no way they feel safe flying. And that was the numbers. It was like 94 to six. So thoughts, Caitlin, what I just, I think it's unfair to sell somebody at a thousand dollar ticket that they thought they'd have a seat beside them, which yeah. isn't six feet. It's like one foot. Well, and yeah. Now, now we're back down to just a few inches. And never mind that. If you get a big person beside you, you got no inches. I mean, and like, first up, it's been four months. Unless there's an emergency, and if you fell under the umbrella category of you've had an emergency, so you have to get on a flight, that's fine. Every single other last person on that flight, why couldn't you have waited longer than four months to get on a damn plane? It just what, it what about people that have to work and so have they, to do yeah. this? I, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to, th- I, I am trying to figure out who these people are who yep. fill in flights. And you know what's interesting is my brother-in-law and his wife sold their place in Vancouver, and in the, the because they sold it, and their plan was move to Halifax, and you know, in the middle of the pandemic, because they're genuinely moving, he had to move with his wife and their uh, two-year-old kid and their brand new baby across Canada. Now, this was earlier on in the mm-hmm. pandemic. And so they said that the flight was completely empty. The airports are empty. There was nobody on the plane. And when they get there, they have to go into extreme lockdown, quarantine for 14 days. Like, don't even leave the house to get gas or a cup of coffee, nothing. Yep. And it was very stressful for them, but they followed the rules. Everyone's fine. Okay. I talk about this situation with them. They can't believe it because why, like, they got on a flight and were nervous about it, but it was empty at that time. And I just find it so strange that anybody, and I've seen the videos of flights in the U.S. and Canada now where their flights are full. And I just, I agree with you. I don't think it's fair that people get on board a flight and unlike a patio or a busy place, a busy public place that you could just walk out of if you felt uncomfortable, you are trapped on that plane. Everyone uses to- the same bathroom. Absolutely. They don't They don't wipe the bathroom out after every passenger. You cannot tell me that after everyone goes in peace, after every single one, you have a flight attendant that's already overworked, nervous under a lot of stress, you know, mm-hmm. trying to keep passengers happy, everyone's yeah. tense, is going to go in there with a industrial strength spritzer and spray that bathroom yeah. down. It's not going to happen. Have you ever seen how people wear their masks? It's on their oh, chin. Yeah. They had a picture the other day of a guy. He was on an American flight, but I had to laugh. He was this huge guy. He had his face mask on his eyes, like for us, for sleeping. He put yeah. them over his eyes to keep it dark. And 
And I don't know if people think that's funny. Yeah, I don't think they think at all. I, I just, I find it, um, I just find it troubling too, because, you know, uh, the airlines get bailouts from the government, right? So they take these massive bailouts and then people aren't allowed to return their, their flights or to return their fares. They don't yeah. get a refund. It's been a nightmare process. If you had a flight book anywhere, getting any kind of refund or even a credit issued has been torture. And I just think about the fact that, you know, not even that long ago, like you're being dinged for overage of one pound on a bag, crammed into these seats. I was already the lunatic on planes who wiped down every single surface. I brought an entire pack of Purell. Yeah, me too. Me. me too. That was before a pandemic. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I know people have to get where they're going. Um, and so for the people in emergency situations, I feel for them. I just don't feel that. At this point, you should be piling people in like sardines into a commercial flight. I feel like we need to save the seats for people who are in emergency situations, who are traveling around because they have to for work. Maybe they're in an essential industry and they need to be able to travel. I just think I they, should have, they should have priority and they shouldn't feel scared to get on a plane. Well, the, 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 the matter of economics come up, the fiduciary mm -hmm. responsibility that the airlines have to their shareholders, blah, 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 blah. The thing that always irks me about these giant corporations, welcome to the rest of the world club. Yeah. We are yeah. all, we are all, my livelihood disappeared in 20 minutes. When they made this announcement, my livelihood, and you know, I'm not going to complain one second. I am, I am not a wealthy person in the big stream of things. I have a mortgage like everybody else. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, as this goes on, I'm not going to be in a great position. I don't think I'll be working, working until middle of next year. If we stay on course to kind of keep our numbers down, but I, you know, I, I don't want to walk around angry at people all the time, but you know, the ire that I feel towards people that we, we deserve better as the public, as the people that pay for these tickets. We deserve better. And I feel like, you know, having that seat in between would have been such an act of kindness and of a little bit of, yeah, we actually do give a crap about you. But as soon as they went with that, I'm just like, wow. Well, when they went through the rows of people who were going to be potentially impacted, like they said, the whole plane could have been exposed, but we're really working our way and focusing on this exact section of the plane. If you had a middle seat, populating those specific rows that they were concerned about. I think they said that it's like, if you had have taken away the middle seat, you would have reduced exposure by 33%. That's you know, just, worth just, it. Just physically because of the reduction in people on the plane. And so if that means that you have to charge slightly more for the plane tickets that you are making available, talk about that, consider that option. But overall, exposing people on your flight is not going to do a lot to instill consumer confidence and make people want to get back on planes. So I don't think it's good for business anyways. Well, patience is everything. Patience is everything. Um, we have an amazing guest today. I don't know if she's going to weigh in on all this flying stuff. I know that she's going to have to get on a plane eventually because she's an actor. Zoe Palmer uh, is an amazing Canadian actress. She's Canadian and English, actually. Oh, no, Irish. She'd kill me if I said English. <laughs> and uh, she's going to be with us today. You may know Zoe from... Uh, Dr. Lauren from uh, Lost Girl. She played Android on Dark Matter. She's been in countless, countless movies and television shows. Anyway, she's also plays my sister on the Jan Show. Coming up right after this, you are going to be meeting Zoe Palmer, and we're going to have a great conversation about acting. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Jan Arden Podcast. 
a very special guest with us today. I've torn her away from her multitasking duties from her home in Toronto. She is presently somewhere. It's, it's very private. It's unknown, but it's not a bathroom. <laughs> and uh, Zoe Palmer is with us today. Hello, she, hello, hello. Hi, Zoe. Thanks for doing this. It's my pleasure. You, you are the very first uh, Jan Show cast member to come on and oh. uh, just chat with us. But I don't need to remind people, but I will, of your five seasons with Lost Girl, which is like a phenomenon all over the damn planet. Uh, just the, the, the cons that you do, those comic cons. You, the show's been finished for, what, four years, and you guys are still zooming around the planet doing those yeah yeah i think it's longer than four years now we wrapped in 2014 no mm. october of 2014 october 1st around four o'clock in the morning 2014 what uh so the that experience was five years so you actually got to go shoot the show and go home at every night yeah which- we shot toronto where i live so i was uh that was a show that uh was local in that way for me yeah so for an actor, that's, that is a pretty magnificent four Definitely. or five years to be able to, you know, go home and then go to work and then, and not be some, like, I know that you've been in, God knows, you were in um, Budapest last year or the yeah, year before. Yeah. Yeah. T- the tw- 20, it, it's, I think the end of 2017, I, I ended up in Budapest there for a bit. Yeah. You can't go home after Budapest. Uh, not at the end of the day. No. No. Uh, you, you are allowed to go home at some point. Like, they don't kidnap you in Budapest. You do fly home uh, at the end of the shoot. But every night, <laughs> you go to your apartment. Um, I did do a shoot in Lithuania. My very first thing I ever did, I ever booked, right out of theater school was in Lithuania. And I didn't know anything about anything, about set or the, the lingo on set. Um, and it was really trial by fire. Like, I was just in another country where I didn't speak the language, learning how to be on set. It was kind of incredible. You have been acting half of your life. Yeah, yeah, half now, I know, God, God, yeah, yeah. And it's actually probably more than half of your life if you kind of clock the time when you got the acting bug, which was really, really early. Yeah, I mean, I've been acting since I was a kid. Like, I did everything I could as a child. I did community theater, and I did plays in school, and I did anything I could get my hands on. I don't, I don't come from a, a acting background or even an artistic family, really. Um, so I didn't have a clue how to start in the industry, which is why I went to theater school. Like, I had no idea. I had no connections. I didn't know, like, you know, my dad was in the military. Uh, my, my sister has, like, degrees in business and information sciences. Like, I'm that. I come from that stuff. So, um, you know, it was just uh, something I, I got into as a little kid. I saw it and thought, I'd like to do it. <laughs> yeah. It, it takes an incredible amount of dedication. I don't think people really understand what goes on on a show to, to make the show. Like something like Lost Girl, you, you mentioned, you know, your last scene, getting home, finishing up at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But I don't think people realize really what you do give up. I know you gain a lot in, in the arts and you gain a lot by being an actor, but you sacrifice a lot too. I would imagine that it's um, doing these characters. I, I don't know how you guys leave that behind you at the end of every day of shooting. Like when, you, when you've been asked to cry for 14 hours one day, like I, I, I really don't know how you leave that aside. 
Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> but um, um, I you know I think like uh, it's uh, acting is a career that's a lifestyle career. You know what I mean? It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. You're sort of um, you know, if you were a a police officer, it's a lifestyle. You know what I mean? It's not just a job. Um, in terms of the char- leaving the character behind at the end of every day, that depends on the character of the day and the mood you're in that day. It's sort of, um, you know, some days it's easy. Some days I'll come home and I can't sleep for a few hours because you're just, you know, you, well, you know, you're so amped up shooting all day. And then by the time you get home, you need a minute to come off of that. Like it's, you know, it's, it, it sometimes takes longer than the drive home to kind of come down from the day you've had, especially if you've had fights, choreography or anything really intense emotionally that day, it does take a little bit of time to kind of land back into your own life and come home and, and do laundry. It just, it is a bit jarring at times that transition, but um, you do, I mean, you know, like I, I, and, and I mean, you're, you've been in this industry um, almost two weeks. Well, no, but I mean, even I've, I've been this, acting over seven hours now. If you put it all together, but yours is the same. You have a, it's a lifestyle, right? As a musician and touring, it's a lifestyle. It's not a job. You know, it's not nine to five. It's you're, uh, you're, you're with it uh, 24 hours a day in some way, whether it's thinking about it or, or creating music or whatever it is. It's a, it's a, full but act, actors are a particular kind of person. I, I find all of you guys very eccentric. Like I find most actors very eccentric. Like there's, there is an absolute through line with every actor that I have met, all these amazing actors that I've met certainly through the Jan show, but just other, you know, just other events over the last few years, the Canadian screen awards or whatever people I've long admired, you know, you meet them and there's, there's this thread that goes through you guys. That's, you know, it is kind of nutty and you're, you're very eccentric is the word that I have to use Zoe. Well, you can't be, you, you have to be a little bit out there to, to choose yes. to for a living. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's not a job everybody thinks that to do for a living, you know, it's a, it's an odd way to make a living. You're, you're, you know, like it is a bit weird. And so, um, yeah, I think you have to, think, <laughs> I think you have to think outside the box a little bit in order to even you, imagine creating your life in this way. Oh, for sure. You, you spent, let, let's just round it off to like a decade. I'm going to say between dark matter and lost girl, yeah. you know, and some change, you know, put the prep in there and all that other stuff. So you, you're, you, those characters could not have been more different. Like lost girl was this kind of high, strong, uh, often in doubt doctor that was dealing with this world that was absolutely insane. Any of you Lost Girl fans out there know that, you know, Lauren had, you know, her hands full with some really, really nutty situations. And you always seem to be, your character was always kind of the anchor to keep one foot in the real world. And then in Android, you know, you're playing a machine. And I swear to God, if I had not known you, I I would never even have recognized you Mm -hmm. from lost girl to android like i wouldn't even have looked at you and going oh that's the girl from lost girl mm-hmm. like of course i knew you so that my you absolutely morphed into a completely physically different individual mm. yeah i mean that's the fun of it that's what i love about it anytime you get to do that and uh, you know characters that are extreme in any way or um or quirky in any way or uh, you know it, that's the that's the journey and the joy like that's what it's about for me I, and I think if you ask most actors I mean it's so exciting to figure it out because you are figuring it out right um that's 
the process of acting is the interesting part. The product is kind of none of your business almost like you do the thing and you give it over and hopefully people are into it. But the journey of finding that character is the part that's exciting. I am often like really taken aback by the amount of time that actors spend in a makeup chair. So I would imagine something like the Android would have been a much different experience than Dr. Lauren or, or your character of Max on the Jan show. They're all so different in their prep. Do you, do you enjoy that process? Is that part of it that's like, um, oh, I'm in the makeup chair, yay? I think uh, I, I, I respect and appreciate the process. I have such respect for hair and makeup department and, um, and costume because without them, you know, it informs the character so much. But um, the, the, the sitting in a chair for two and a half hours, I'm sure I have some form of mild ADHD <laughs> or, or perhaps not mild, but... but but aggressive, I don't know. So I struggle a lot sitting there for two, three hours. Um, that's not enjoyable experience for me, but it's not because it's in hair and makeup. I would have a hard time sitting anywhere for three straight hours. Right. Uh, I'm not inclined to sit or sit. So um, some people love it. And, uh, but I, I respect it immensely. There's a lot of sitting around in acting. Yeah. I mean, is. I know there's always stuff to do. When we come back, boy, that went by really quickly. When we come back, I want to tell you how I kind of stumbled onto Zoe Palmer and sort of the very short version of how she ended up being on the Jan show. And we're all very, very lucky. So don't go away. We're talking to the actor extraordinaire Zoe Palmer from her home in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Podcast. I don't know what you're doing today, but I bet you're having your day so much better because you're listening to Zoe Palmer. Talk about acting, talk about her life. Very long story, very short. Zoe is plays uh, Max on the Jan show and we're so, so thrilled. So I've never had a sister in real life. So for me, it's been a really, really interesting unfolding. Zoe actually has a real sister. And as she mentioned before, she's, uh, she could, she's the antithesis to you, really. It, well, we're, we're different in the way that we've, we've moved through the world. We have some very similar traits um, in terms of, you know, she's, she's a dedicated, committed kind of, she, she goes after what she wants, you know, and, and she did it in her way and I did yes. it in my way. But there's some, there's some stuff in there that's similar. But yes, our, the outcome of our life, so to speak, is quite different. Well, I was in my basement on a bike or something one day and a movie came on called Sex After Kids. And I probably, I probably started watching it 20 minutes in, but you know, I had thinking, I got to ride this bike for 45 minutes. I started watching it. I laughed my butt off. It's a, uh, Jer- Jeremy Lalonde is a, a Canadian film. Anyways, he writes great movies. Zoe played a very funny English character mm-hmm. and she's a single mom. Anyway, I laughed my butt off. Uh, and I just thought, who is this person? So of course I go to Twitter and she was on Twitter and I was so thrilled. And the rest, as they say, is history. I'm like, I just, I love the show. I loved you in this movie. And, and the Jan show hadn't even really started its thing down the road, but I just, I could not get you out of my mind for the part of Max when we started to develop that character. Like it never went away. And I just thought that she's got to be Max. Yeah. And uh, you, you bring so much to it, Zoe. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, we've, ta- we've told this story, but um, um, people bring up things in the business 
all the time, you know, like, uh, oh, I have a show idea. You'd be great for this or, you know, uh, whatever it is. There's so much of that in the business. Is there? <laughs> yeah. And it's authentic and genuine. Nobody's saying it, uh, but, but you hear it a lot, you know, oh, I, right. I have, I have a part in mind for you. Or I have a, so whenever you, I hear it after 20 odd years in the business, I go cool. And then never think about it again. Right. Uh, so you brought that up going, we're going to do a show, the Jan show. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And you were like, yeah, yeah you'd be great for the sister. And I was like, totally awesome. Talk to her. And, you know, um, so the fact that it happened. Is, sure, dreamer, dream on, dream oh, leaver. Yeah. I, I thought for sure you'll do the Jan show at some point, whatever. And someone will be the sister and maybe it'll be me and all those things. But, you know, you don't really sit and no. think about it and really imagine that happening. So fast you, forward three years later. And here we are. I'm like, yeah. can you come? But the part that you play, um, you and your husband, Dave, your two kids, you have a, uh, an 18 year old from a previous relationship when you were a very young woman. Yeah, um, very, 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 very young. Oh, very, you, you were just, I think seven, 16, maybe. That's no, I think, I, we're, I, think, I think you were like 18, 19. That's sort of how we're playing it. Uh -huh. okay. You look too young to have kids anyway, oh. but I, I digress. So, but you, you play this part that is so pivotal to everything because A, you, you have comedic chops and I know that people don't think of you as a comedic actor. Obviously, Jeremy Lalonde did, but even in Lost Girl and even in Dark Matter, mm. you have impeccable comedic timing. You're mm. very, very funny and you're funny in real life, but you play these drama roles. Mm. I mean, I always have, I've always bumped on the term comedic actor and dramatic actor. I think, okay. um, I mean, no, it comes up all the time. It's, it's very standard language. And, um, and I, I often wonder about it because, um, I think like actors, uh, you know, the hope anyway, as, as an actor for myself is that you can kind of come in and out of different parts of people. And, and sometimes they're, you know, even the, the most, um, of course there are people you meet in the world and some people are funny and you notice it and some people are serious and you notice it or you notice things about people. But I think like, um, I don't know that there is, there's, you know, it's the, it's the age yeah. old, no comedy without drama. There's no drama without comedy. They're very connected. But I mean, I, I, the, but they do say though, Zoe, that, you know, some dramatic actors don't do comedy well. Mm. And that, I mean, that sort of is across the board, but you, you have this, this nuanced stuff that you do. Like you're one of those people every take and I'm new to all this, but when I'm sitting sort of in the little, one of those director's chairs and I'm watching you do take after take of things. Mm -hmm. I love watching people with experience is interesting, such as yourself, because you do something different every single time. And everyone's so excited to go, how is she going to say this line this time? What's going to happen this, this time? And, and oh my God, it's so hard not to die laughing when you've got to be quiet on a set and you do something and you're just so damn funny. Wow. And, but you're playing a straight person in the show. Mm -hmm. So the laughs come at a, at a very weird expense to you because you are funny, but you're the anchor of keeping, you know, no. Everybody do this. I, I kind of love that. I love when comedy is born out of, out of a truthful moment. Right. And I mean, the, for me, that's the stuff that's the most funny. I mean, you know, I love, I love sort of broad stuff as well, but I really um, connect to, you know, a lot of the British comedies where, where it's just almost in the awkward, uncomfortable pain that we find. <laughs> it's right. Funny things. And for me, um, 
because I really am, um, I, you know, comedy and tragedy are so married and that it is those moments that we, we, we don't want to laugh because we shouldn't, but it is funny. You know what I mean? And, and oh, I, absolutely. I, I, love, I love that. How, when you, when you went in like to the max character, you get a script, you get these Jan scripts. And you're like, okay, we're going to go into season one. And I don't know who this person is. Can you walk us through a little bit? What, or is it just too mysterious? Is there some basics that, that you base that character on or yeah. like where, where's the starting point Zoe? Well, I mean the time you haven't got, I find often certainly on, on TV shows because they shoot so fast, you're often finding who they are in real time almost. You wow. know, you don't have the kind of prep at times that you might have on, on a, on a different show or a movie say, you know, where, yeah. you, where you know uh, months in advance that you're shooting something and then you have the script for those months to kind of really look at it. But when you're getting on a show, even if you get the first script, when you're shooting, you're getting the scripts while you're shooting, as you know. So you're learning lines for the next episode while you're shooting. So the time is is um, is difficult. So oftentimes it's about the dynamics on set, right? Like I can have an idea of how I want to play the character. But when I get on to set with you or Elena or Patrick, I have to be present in the scene and respond to what they're giving me too. So you have to have a concept. You have yeah. to have an idea. You can't go in. Well, I suppose you could. I don't. I mean, you have well, to Max have- is just so definite. Max is so definite. Like people have really enjoyed watching the Jan character and the Max character. I, I get so many notes. About, I mean, they love the whole show, but they love the interaction of sisters. And so, and because I don't have a sister, it's been very gratifying for me to have people say, Oh my gosh, that's so much like my sister and you guys just nail it. And, and uh, like, I've learned so much from you in the last couple of years as to like even learning lines. And, um, but it, it's such a, it, it really is a marvel to watch people create something out of nothing. I, maybe that's what I want to say. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, like you get given it, like the acting portion is in a process of it all, right? I mean, there's an idea that someone comes up with you guys and Jenica and Leah and uh, who come up with an idea for a show. And then, uh, you know, uh, we're a part of the piece of that telling. But it that. comes to life when you have an actor like yourself that brings, they're like, you know, we were all like, oh, my God, there's Max. There she is. Or there's there's Kale. There's Todd. Yeah. It is a freaky, weird process to watch it unfold. It's but- really exciting. And I love the evolution of, like, where we all were in the beginning of season one and where we all are in season two. And not just as the characters in the story, but how we as the actors, everybody, I've watched everybody kind of find their way into these people and find the dynamics and find the, the, the places to kind of um, add and pull back. And, you know, oh, for sure. We've discovered that together. And that's, it's a really exciting thing for me. I love that stuff. I love the, the process of it. I would be remiss to fans of your other shows to not ask you about the absolute difficulty of shooting love scenes. So in, you know, whether it's lost girl, uh, I know that you ha- even had stuff in dark matter. You know, when, when, when Android went off into the other world or the dream sequence, I still haven't decided. I'm so mad about season four, but anyway, we won't deal with that on dark matter right now. So kind of just what we don't even think about it when we're watching people being intimate, but there is nothing sexy about it there. Right. 
Like, I've asked you this before because I'm so curious about love scenes in movies and TV. You know, I think um, the standard answer is oftentimes uh, there's so many people in the room and it's all technical. And, and yeah. that is the answer. That is there. That, there's a lot of truth to that. I can't imagine. I mean, I just can't imagine. It makes me my head want to pop off. I really look at those scenes the same way I look at every other scene. Like, I don't think of it as like we're shooting, 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 shooting. Now there's a sex scene. <laughs> it's not it's not how I you know what I mean like it feels to me it's a part of the thing and I don't get uh weird about it I don't get uncomfortable about it the the parameters often on set are really solid and how it's going to be shot um you often have really long conversations about you know there's choreography with, with the other with the other actor right yeah, so you would the other actor and the director and sometimes the writers of how you know how they they imagined this scene and that kind of thing I don't um yeah, I don't get too precious about it. I kind of go into it the same way I go into any other scene. And I think, um, and sometimes it is kind of, um, there is a connect. You have to, to you know, when you and I are having a scene about our mother being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I had to ask the question because people always want to know that. And I can't imagine anything more complicated. And see how this show has gone by? I had like 19 other questions to ask you. And now here's where we're leaving it. So I'm going to let you have the last 30 seconds just to say, hey, Zoe, you're on a hit show with Jan, and we're so happy to have you. I can't even tell you. Uh, it's my pleasure, all of it. The show being here today on this podcast, I'm, I'm thrilled to pieces, and uh, I adore you, as you know. So thank you. Well, I mean, just the ideas that you come up with. I mean, we, we're so glad to have a show where people feel like they can, you know, just have ideas and like, oh, let me try this. But anyway, tune in to the Jan show. It's coming this fall. Uh, and we'll have more details, but Zoe Palmer is going to be with us. Wait till you see what she brings to the table season two. It is so damn funny. Um, and once again, we're forcing her to be musical. She's musical in a lot of her series. People make her <laughs> sing, and for good reason. Um, I wanted to get into talking about all the music that we've done together so far, but we will uh, we'll talk about that next time. I hope you'll come back to the podcast. I would love to, absolutely. Okay. You've been listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. My guest, Zoe Palmer. We'll see you next time, Tony D. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.